All right. Well, here we are at volume two, chapter one. We got some horrible news for dear Eleanor at the end of the last chapter. So hopefully this chapter is a bit more uplifting. Uh, we do have some chapter notes. They're going to play some parlor games that I just want to kind of make you familiar with. The one is called Consequences. Um, and that was, it was essentially like Mad Libs. Um, so someone would say, okay, well, give me an adjective. And then, okay, well, you know, person seated here gives an adjective. And then the next person gives the man's name. And the next person gives the word met and then an adjective. And then the next person's a, per a lady's name. And, and so then everybody would like submit their little lists and then they'd all draw it up together and then they'd read this amusing narrative. Um, and so, you know, consequences, it's a noisy kind of rowdy game. Um, I, I love a good game of Mad Libs. I thought those, that was always fun. Um, my family would play Mad Libs as kind of like a car game sometimes. Um, because yeah, you, you know, it didn't require, it just required one person to write stuff down. It didn't require a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, actual cards or anything. Anyway, so consequences is, um, a mad game, a, a mad game, <laughs> a parlor game. And, um, I know that, you know, like, <laughs> so I did look up, you know, like, okay, well, Jane Austen spark notes or whatever on sense and sensibility. And one of the things that someone was writing about was like, oh, how the game of consequences is larger representative of the entire novel where, everyone is um, supplying information based off of what they know and it leads to this larger thing and it's all convoluted and blah, blah, blah. those kind of literary analyses. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's deeper meaning and a lot of things and Jane Austen did write on a couple different levels usually, but the way the consequences is brought up in the chapter, I don't think it's that big a deal. So I'm not going to read it all to you about how consequences is representative of the entire story. But if you are, you know, more interested in in-depth um, analysis, a sense and sensibility, you could look up the game of consequences as it relates to sense and sensibility. Um, anyway, but so consequences is played um, around a large table or it can be played, um, you know, with everyone sitting on the sofas. So it's an easy parlor game. Another game that they play, um, is called casino. Um, and casino is essentially like a, a, it's a type of, it sounds to me like a type of poker. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go too much into it, but if you're interested in looking up casino, there's, um, there are certainly, you know, wiki pages out there and stuff for it. I don't think it's that important to know how to play casino. Um, the only thing I will mention is um, Lady Middleton proposes a rubber of casino. And a rubber is when you get to so many points. Um, so she's just proposing a, a round of casino, essentially. Um, you use rubbers in other games. I, I don't know why they're called rubbers. Um, in the modern vernacular, it's a little unfortunate to have rubbers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that is all when she proposes a rubber, <laughs> that's what she means. 
Um, the other one is uh, filigree. I think we all know what filigree is, but I just thought like I would mention it. Um, but it was, um, let's see, what does it say? It says intricate ornamental metalwork by attaching narrow rolled pieces of paper, often gilded or colored into wood and using them for decoration. It's sometimes called rolled paperwork. Um, that is the official definition. Um, so in this era, a lot of ladies had to have occupation. We already talked um, in a previous chapter about how the ladies are always occupied at Barton Cottage. Um, so, but the things that ladies could do was limited. Uh, they could do, um, artful tasks, but they aren't supposed to do heavy working tasks. So they're allowed to do drawing and, um, things like, but, um, they, they aren't allowed to, you know, like go out and do wood carving. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, filigree work was something that was, um, considered a dainty lady-like task. So they might do filigree. They might do, um, making screens for fires. Um, you know, uh, so other work like that. And so when they mention filigree, that's just what they mean is that it's a delicate artwork of doing inlays and there it's mentioned. You shouldn't do it by candlelight cause it'll hurt your eyes. So anyway, those are the chapter notes this time. Um, I think everything else we'll just, you know, mention when we get to it. So here we go then with chapter one. However small her general dependence on Lucy's veracity might be, it was impossible for her on serious reflection to suspect it was the present case, where no temptation could be answerable to the folly of inventing a falsehood of such description. What Lucy had asserted to be true, therefore, Eleanor could not, dared no longer doubt, suspect, supported as it was too on every side, but such probabilities and proofs, and contradicted by nothing but her own wishes." Their opportunity of acquaintance in the house of Mr. Pratt was a foundation for the rest, at once indisputable and alarming, and Edward's visit near Plymouth, his melancholy state of mind, his dissatisfaction at his own prospects, his uncertain behavior towards himself, the intimate knowledge of the Miss Steeles as to Norland and their family connections, which had often surprised her, the picture, the letter, the ring, formed together such a body of evidence as overcame every fear of condemning him unfairly, and established as a fact which no partiality could set aside, his ill-treatment of herself. Her resentment to have such behavior, her indignation at having been his dupe, for a short time made her feel only for herself, but on other ideas other considerations soon arose. Had Edward been intentionally deceiving her? Had he feigned a regard for her which he did not feel? Was his engagement to Lucy an engagement of the heart? No. Whatever it might have once been, she could not believe it at present. His affection was all her own. She could not be deceived in that. Her mother, sisters, Fanny had all been conscious of his regard for her at Norland. It was not an illusion of her own vanity. He certainly loved her. What a softer heart was in his persuasion. How much could not tempt her to forgive had he been blamable highly blamable in remaining at norland after he first felt her influence at him to be more than it ought in fact he could not be defended if he had injured her but how much more he had injured himself if her case were pitiable his was hopeless 
His imprudence had made her miserable for a while, but it had seemed to have deprived himself all chance of ever being otherwise. She might in time regain tranquillity, but he, what had he to look forward to? Could he ever be tolerably happy with Lucy Steele? Could he, were his affection for herself out of the question, with his integrity, his delicacy, and well-informed mind, be satisfied with a wife like her, illiterate, artful, and selfish? Uh, okay, so she's talking about Izzy to blame or stuff, and so what she's referencing is, did he purposely make her fall in love with him? And if so, he would be a low-down cad, you know, there would be nothing good in his situation. And instead, what we see is she's decided that no, he didn't do it on purpose. No, I'm not just vain suggesting he loves me. He really does love me. And he realized that we were in love at Norland, but when my family decided to go, he did not you know, fly after me. He didn't try and profess anything. He just let me go. So he acted honorably. And furthermore, his situation, she's decided, is very pitiful. 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 Oh my god. It's very pitiful because um, she's like, in time, I might fall in love with someone else. I might be happy. What has he got to look forward to in life? He's got to look forward to Lucy Steele. So she's like, even if he was to blame a little, I'd forgive him because I feel really bad for what he's gone and done to himself by being engaged to this girl. Uh, so that's what she's talking about, about blame, is was he at fault for their romance? And she decides that no, he um, was not. The youthful infatuation of 19 would naturally blind him to everything but her beauty and good nature, and the four succeeding years, the years which, if rationally spent, to give such improvement to understanding, must have opened his eyes to her defects of education, while at the same period of time, spent on her side in inferior society and more frivolous pursuits, had perhaps robbed her of that simplicity which might have once been given an interesting character to her beauty." If this supposition of his seeking to marry her his to marry of his seeking to marry her herself, his difficulties from his mother had seemed great, how much greater were they now likely to be when the object of his engagement was undoubtedly inferior in connections and probably inferior in fortune to herself? These difficulties indeed, with a heart so alienated from Lucy, might not press very hard upon his patience, but melancholy was the state of the person by whom the expectation of family opposition and unkindness could be felt as a relief. Okay, so again, she's pointing out when he got engaged, she would have been 19, and Lucy would have been also quite young, and she would have just then seemed um, young and naive, and oh yeah, she's she's not very literate, and she's a little weird, but she's just naive and cute, and he was a young man, and la 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 la. So she's saying, okay, well, they, the folly of a young engagement here is very bad, um, because then the four successive years he spent growing up and realized, I do not want to be engaged to this person. And she spent the last four years getting dumber and you know it so the distance between them has grown even more um and so she said now 
it explains why he's so melancholy and everything. And actually, um, the difficulties of his family are kind of a blessing now because it's keeping him from his ultimate fate of having to marry Lucy because uh, he's not having to try it with his family. All these considerations occurred to her in painful succession. She wept for him more than for herself, supported by the conviction of having done nothing to merit her present unhappiness, and consoled by the belief that Edward had done nothing to forfeit her esteem. She thought she could, even now, under the first smart of the heavy blow, command herself enough to guard every suspicion from the truth from her mothers and sisters. And so well was she able to answer in her own expectations that when she joined them at dinner only two hours after she had first suffered the extinction of all her dearest hopes, no one could have supposed from the appearance of her sisters that Eleanor was in mourning in secret over obstacles which must divide her from her ever from the object of her love, and that Marianne was internally dwelling on the perfections of a man whose whole heart she felt thoroughly possessed and to whom she expected to see in every carriage which drove near their house. The necessity of concealing from her mother and Marianne what had been entrusted in confidence to herself, though it obliged her unceasing exertion, was no aggravation of Eleanor's distress. On the contrary, it was a relief to her to be spared the communication of what could give them affliction, and saved likewise from hearing that condemnation of Edward, which probably would flow from the excess of their partial affection for herself, and which was more than she felt equal to support. From from their counsel or their conversation she knew she could receive no assistance their tenderness and sorrow must add to her distress while her self-command would neither receive encouragement from their example nor their praise she was stronger alone and in her good sense and her own good sense so well supported her that her firmness was unshaken her appearance of cheerfulness was invariable as with regret so poignant and so fresh as was possible for them to be so here we see, again, highlighted the major difference of the sisters. Marianne is still all over Willoughby. Every time there's a carriage, she jumps up and waits to see if it's him. Um, Eleanor, on the other hand, is supported by her own good sense. And she doesn't show anything. And she knows that if she showed anything, it would just make her unhappier and make everyone around her unhappier, which would make her unhappier. So she doesn't need to do that. And so she's doing opposite of Marianne and so that's kind of you know like I said one of the main themes of the book so just pointing it out again much as she had suffered from their first conversation with Lucy on the subject she soon felt an earnest wish of renewing it and this for more reasons than one she wanted to hear many particulars of the engagement repeated again she wanted more clearly to understand what lucy really felt for edward whether there were any sincerity in the declaration of a tender regard for him and she wanted particularly to convince lucy by her earnest readiness to enter on the matter again and her calmness in conversing it that she was no otherwise interested in it than as a friend which she very much feared her involuntary agitation in their morning discourse most of must have left her at least doubtful that lucy was disposed to be jealous of her appeared very probable it was plain that Edward had always spoken highly in her praise, not merely from Lucy's assertion, but from her venturing to trust her so on so short a personal acquaintance with the secret, so confessedly and evidently important. And even Sir John's joking intelligence must have some weight. 
but indeed while eleanor remained so well assured within herself of being really beloved by edward it required no other consideration of probabilities to make it natural that lucy should be jealous and that she was nah, she was so her very confidence was proof what other reason for the disclosure of the affair could there be but that eleanor might be informed of it by lucy's superior claims on edward's and be taught to avoid him in the future she had little difficulty in understanding thus much of her rival's intentions and while she was firmly resolved to act by her every principle of honour and as every principle of honour and honesty directed to combat her own affection for edward and seem as little as possible she could not deny herself the comfort of endeavouring to convince lucy that her heart was unwounded and she could now have nothing more painful to hear on that subject than had already been told she did not mistrust her own ability of going through a repetition of the particulars with composure. So this is an interesting point of Eleanor's um, that she has decided the only reason Lucy would have told me about this is because she's jealous. Um, she's jealous of me. And that's, you know, she gives re And I think she's right. I think Lucy definitely knows that she has a right to be jealous of Eleanor. Um... And that's why she told Eleanor the way she did, how she did. We already know that Lucy's pretty artful and deceiving, so it seems like something Lucy would do. Um, but the point I find it interesting is Eleanor's own bit of vanity there, I'd call it, that she wants to prove, this doesn't upset me. I'm fine. That didn't hurt. I don't care. We'll talk about it again and again. Want to see me be hurt? I'm not hurt. What are you talking about? Um... Eleanor's like, yeah, so she just wants to go over it again and again because she's like, it'll, it'll be fine. I'll just learn more. I'll act like a friend and she won't have to see me wounded. I'll prove to her that it never really mattered to me anyway. Um, ha. <laughs> kind of. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of vanity on Eleanor's part that I think is kind of funny. Um, she definitely doesn't see it that way herself, I don't think. But it was not immediately that an opportunity of doing so could be commanded, though Lucy was well disposed as herself to take any advantage of it that occurred, for the weather was not often fine enough to allow their joining in a walk, where they must, where they might most easily separate themselves from others, though they met at least every other evening at the park or the cottage, and chiefly at the former, they could not be supposed to meet for the sake of conversation. Such a thought never entered into Sir John or Lady Middleton's head, and therefore very little leisure was ever given for general chat, and none at all for particular discourse. They met for the sake of eating, drinking, laughing together, playing at cards or consequences, or any game that was sufficiently noisy. One or two meetings of this kind had taken place, without affording Eleanor any chance of engaging Lucy in private, when Sir John called at the cottage one evening to beg in the name of charity that they all dine with Lady Middleton that day, as he was obliged to attend a club at Exeter, and she would otherwise be quite alone except for her mother and the two Miss Steeles. Eleanor, who saw a fairer opening for the point that she had in view, was in such a party as this was likely to be, more liberty amongst themselves under the tranquil and well-bred direction of Lady Middleton than when her husband united them together in one noisy purpose, immediately accepted the invitation. Margaret, with her mother's permission, was equally compliant, and Marianne, though always unwilling to join any of their parties, was persuaded by their mother, who could not bear to have her seclude herself off from any chance of amusement, to go likewise. The young ladies went, and Lady Middleton was happy to preserve from the frightful solicitude which had threatened her. Solitude, not solicitude. Solitude. I was right. 
The insipidity of the meeting was exactly what Eleanor had expected. It produced not one novelty of thought or expression, and nothing could be less interesting than the whole of their discourse in both the dining parlor and the drawing room. To the latter, the children accompanied them, and while they remained there, she was too well convinced of the impossibility of engaging Lucy's attention to attempt it. They quitted it only with the removal of the tea-things. The card-table was then placed, and Eleanor began to wonder at herself for having entertained a hope of finding time for conversation at the park. They all rose up in preparation for a round game. "'I am glad,' said Lady Middleton to Lucy, "'that you are not going to finish this poor little—' "'that you are not going to finish poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, "'for I am sure it must hurt your eyes to work a filigree by candlelight.' and we will make the dear little love some amends for a disappointment to-morrow, and hope she will not much mind it. This hint was enough. Lucy recollected herself instantly and replied, Indeed, you are very much mistaken, Lady Middleton. I am only waiting to know whether you can make your party without me, or I should have been at my filigree already. I would not want to disappoint the little angel for all the world, and if you want me at the card table now, I am resolved to finish the basket after supper. "'You are very good. I hope it won't hurt your eyes. "'Will you ring the bell for some working candles? "'My poor little girl would be sadly disappointed. "'I know the basket was not finished tomorrow, "'for though I told her it certainly would not, "'I am sure she depends upon it having it done.' "'Lucy directly drew her work-table nearer to herself "'and receded with an clarity and cheerfulness "'which seemed to infer that she could taste no greater delight "'than making a filigree basket for a spoilt child.' Lady Middleton proposed a rubber of casino to the others. No one made any objection but Marianne, who, with her usual intention of the forms of general civility, exclaimed, "'Your ladyship will excuse, have the goodness to excuse me. I know you detest cards. I shall go—you know I detest cards. I shall go to the pianoforte. I have not touched it since I was tuned.' And without further ceremony, she turned away and walked to the instrument." Lady Middleton looked as if she thanked heaven that she had never made so rude a speech. "'Marianne can never keep long from that instrument, you know, ma'am,' said Eleanor, endeavouring to smooth away the offence. "'And I do not much wonder at it, for it is the best-toned pianoforte I have ever heard.' The remaining five were now to draw their cards. "'Perhaps,' continued Eleanor, if I should happen to cut out, I may be some use to Miss Lucy Steele in rolling her papers for her, and there's still much to be done for the basket. It must be impossible, I think, for her to labor so singly to finish it this evening. I should like the work exceedingly if she were allow me a share in it. Indeed, I should be very much obliged to you for your help, cried Lucy, for there is nothing... "'for I find there is more to be done than I thought there was, "'and it would be a shocking thing to disappoint little Anna Maria after all.' "'Oh, that would be terrible indeed,' said Miss Steele. "'Dear little soul, how I do love her.' "'You are very kind,' said Lady Middleton to Eleanor. "'As you really like paperwork, perhaps you will be well pleased "'not to cut until another rubber, or will you take your chance now?' Eleanor joyfully profited by the first of these proposals, and thus, by that little address which Marianne could never consent to practice, gained her own end and pleased Lady Middleton at the same time. Lucy made room for her with some ready attention, and the two fair rivals were thus seated side by side at the same table, and with the utmost harmony engaged in forwarding with the same work. The pianoforte, which Marianne was wrapped up in her own music and her own thoughts, had by this time been forgotten by anybody in the room besides herself. 
was luckily near them that Miss Dashwood, now judged she might safely, under the shelter of its noise, introduced an interesting subject without any risk of being heard at the card table. End chapter one. Marianne, Marianne, Marianne. Um, so, Marianne is so rude sometimes, especially now, as she's, like, wallowing in her own misery. She's given up trying to be civil. And even before then, she was only civil when it really suited her. Um, she knows good manners. She's just decided not to use good manners. And Eleanor... It's kind of like Lucy Steele going up, kind of cleaning up after her older sister. Um, it's not nearly as bad, but still. Um, Marianne just wants to be by herself and in her own emotions. And it said she was forced to go to this party. And because she was forced to go to the party, she acted badly. Um, I can totally relate to this. I'm pretty much very similar, and especially when I was younger, I, yeah, if you were getting me to do a thing I did not want to do, I was going to make sure you all knew that I did not want to do the thing. Um, it's just bad manners. You just don't do that. And when I was Marianne's age, it didn't matter to me what other people thought. Um, a little older now, and I realize, okay, you know, you have to... You have to mind a little bit what other people think because you have to get along in this world with other people. You can't just, you know, rely on the fact that you can do it all by yourself. Um, and they are very indebted to Lady Middleton for providing them good society. Um, if it wasn't for the Middletons liking them, Marianne would never have been able to spend so much time with, uh, what's his name? Willoughby. I can't believe I forgot his name for a minute. Um, but... Yeah, uh, so Marianne, 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 rude, uh, not good, too bad. So uh, Eleanor has finally got her opportunity, though. She's going to be able to have a little chit-chat with Lucy. So we'll see that next time. Next chapter is quite short, so that'll probably be a two-chapter day tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Um, I want to remind everybody that I do have an Instagram now associated with the podcast. Um, been posting some fun things. Yesterday I posted a set of bonnets from 1810 um, that looked really pretty, and I want all of them. Um, well, not all of them, but at least five of them. <laughs> Uh, so if you are on Instagram, it, it's, it's Elizabeth reads Jane, uh, with underscores where the spaces would be. If you're not on Instagram yet, this might be a good time to get started. Um, it's a fun platform. Uh, I really like it. So that's just my little, my little social media plug and I'll see you all tomorrow. Hope everybody's keeping safe and healthy.